Amen. You may be seated. Good morning. Happy Father's Day to all the, uh, the dads here, the granddads, everybody. We're in Mark 6, 30 through 44 today. It's a very familiar story. This is the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. Now, in Clark, classic Mark fashion, we have just followed hot on the heels of an extravagant, sinful, shameful banquet of a wicked king. And then today we're going to see in direct contrast the compassionate, bountiful, humble banquet of our great shepherd king, our Lord Jesus Christ. Instead of a bunch of points for you today, I simply have one overarching mega epic theme. And that theme has lots of subpoints attached to it. But that theme is just the title of my sermon today. The title of my sermon today is a heart cry from the text. It is the bleating of God's sheep towards their mighty God. You see, everything will fall under this thought. Us as sheep to watch the movements of our great shepherd and to learn from him. I'm going to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Mark 6, 30 through 44. Let's read together. Now the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. They went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there from foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When they went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to them, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to all the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied. They took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of fish, and those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. There's a line in The Lord of the Rings uh, where the hobbit Bilbo is coming to Gandalf, and he's just been through uh, horrible peril, and he's tired, he's exhausted, and he says this. He says, I feel thin, sort of stretched, like butter scraped over too much bread. And as I read this, I thought the apostles probably returned feeling exactly like this. They felt stretched upon their return. It's hard to explain how ministry can really uh, suck, suck the life out of you, can really drain you at times, can really have this feeling of being stretched and wrung out. I skimmed an article the other day. It was about people who, uh, during the pandemic, they quit their previous jobs, and now they were making you know, millions of dollars and thousands of dollars doing something else. And one of, the, one of the people mentioned was a 21-year-old guy who started his own glamping business. Glamping. If you're not familiar with that, it's a portmanteau for glamorous camping. So he started glamping, right, you know? And he's making thousands and thousands and making just tons of money. Well, anyway, so I read about this guy, and I thought, well, what did he do before? 21 years old. It says he grew weary from being a youth pastor and started this business. And I thought, the nerve of that guy, like... 
Did he start being a youth pastor at 12 years old? Like he's 21. Like what are you talking about? He burnt out at 21? Well, the disciples earned their exhaustion. At least they earned it, okay? They were performing miracles. They were exercising demons. They were preaching the gospel. And if anyone deserved a glamping trip, it was these guys, right? They're telling Jesus of their adventures, their missionary work. All the while, these large groups are coming and going, and there's not even time enough to eat. There's no time to to sit down. They can't even just have a moment of peace. So many people, in fact, that there's just not a time. There's not time to sit down and eat with Jesus. Now, I want you to notice the response of our Lord in verse 31 to hearing their stories. He says this. He says, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. I want to pause here for a moment. I want to bask in the beauty of that response from Jesus. Because the first thing we need to see today about our wonderful shepherd is that his eyes are glowing with sympathy for his sheep. The New Testament is filled with these tremendous moments about the looking and the seeing of Jesus. And those wondrous eyes that can pierce the heart of man always diagnose the deepest need. He's hearing their sore voices. They're weary. They've been preaching nonstop. They've been going from town to town. He's noticed maybe their worn out shoes, the way they groan when they sit down. Dad, you know how that feels? The way their eyes droop. They're being interrupted. Moments of silence. He hears their tummies growling. He hears their stomachs. Our God is taken on flesh. And because Jesus took on flesh, he knows exactly how each and every one of his disciples feel. He has compassion for them. He sees them. He's seeing them. He's eyeing them. He goes, oh, I know what you've been through. My sweet brothers, you've done so well. Come rest. We're not going to go anywhere. You don't have to walk. We're going to get in the boats. How about that? No more walking. We're going to get in the boats. Let the sea carry us a little bit. You guys rest. When I come home from from church on Sundays or a big church event. There's nothing sweeter than my, my blessed wife. She goes, you go take a nap. You go take a nap. And that's like music to my ear. She says, I got the kids. You go take a nap. And Jesus says, I got the sheep. I got the sheep. You go take a nap. The shepherd is here. You see, it's a, it's a mental rest. No more thinking. No more preaching. Enjoy the silence. It was a spiritual rest. No more conflict with the powers of darkness. Put away your swords, brothers. The shepherd is here. I've got my rod. I've got my staff. The chief shepherd is here. I will protect you. It's a magnificent revelation. To to think about how Jesus understands us. How Jesus sees your exhaustion. His ears are attentive to your groans, to your aches, to your pains. You see, some people don't understand this. They're, They're well and good. They're fine. They're healthy. They're strong. But if you're here today and you had trouble getting out of bed and you're weak and you're tired, this is sweet music to you. Listen again. Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. That's precious. Those are precious words for weary souls. The Swiss philosopher Frederick Emile, he wrote this. He said, we must know how to put occupation aside, which does not mean that we must be idle. In an inaction which is meditative and attentive, the wrinkles of the soul are smoothed away. The soul itself spreads, unfolds, springs afresh, and like the trodden grass of the roadside or the bruised leaf of a plant, it repairs its injuries. It becomes new, spontaneous, true, and original. And so Jesus says, come. 
Come and rest. Go to the shepherd. Let go of your anxieties. Get some sleep. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. Their rest on the boat, sadly short-lived. If you were paying attention, they don't get out there for long. The next verse, the next thing we read here in verse 33, it says this. Many of them saw him going and recognized them. And so they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. Now you must imagine it. Men, women, children, young and old, they are running along the shore. They're following the outline of the boats. I I think of uh, back in the old days, you would see the black and white footage of, of young men going off to war. And the kids and the wives, and they run across the train station, right? I see this picture of all these people running. The boat, do you see the boat? There he is. Let's go. We can beat him. I, I, know, I know a shortcut. They're excited. They're anxious. They're needy. They're hungry for Jesus. And it's thousands of people. Did you hear about Jairus' daughter? What about old man Legion? Did you hear what he did for him? Could it be true? Is this the one, is this the one John spoke about? We're told in verse 34 that as they pulled their boats ashore, Jesus, again, I want you to notice the language, saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Consider now the second thing about our glorious shepherd. His heart is burning with compassion for his sheep. The disciples watched as Jesus, no doubt, leapt from the boat with joy. He saw the crowds. He saw the people running. He was excited about it. Boys, do you see? Do you see what's going on? My sheep, here they've come for me to see me. The disciples are there. They, they rested as the one for whom there's no rest worked. They watched as their master, again, poured himself out as a sacrifice for his people. And it's here in the compassionate, burning heart of Jesus that this little story really just explodes off the page. For you must always put yourself in the text. You have to see it with your mind's eye. You have to to imagine yourself on the boat. And you can imagine all the white-robed people rushing along the shore. And they're pushing and they're shoving. And and can you hear the, the voices of them calling out? They look like sheep, don't they? They sound like sheep. There's There's chaos. There are probably wolves among them. And Jesus says, there's no shepherd, though. There's nobody to protect my sheep, my people. I must guide them. It's in this scene that Jesus witnesses with those wonderful eyes of his his people. And instead of anger or frustration, don't you know we're getting away? Don't you know we're going away from you guys? Don't you know we're trying to, to give them some rest? No, his heart is set aflame with love and mercy. He says, look at my precious sheep. They're calling to me. They're hungry for me, for the bread that only I can give them. Then we read that he lands. And what does he do? He immediately starts teaching them many things. And Matthew, in the book of Matthew, he adds that he heals them. He heals the sick and he performs miracles. You see, Jesus' heart's rhythm is one of grace and mercy and compassion. It's the same heart that burned for them, still burns For you today. Alas, the hour is growing late. Crowds have not dispersed. And I read it and I think, can you blame them? (laughs) Can you blame them for not going away? I would have kept my entire family there. It would have been awkward. Jesus would have had to awkwardly go, Heath, could you please? I'm so sorry. It's it's late. Can you please? You know, we got to get some sleep. You would have to pull me away, kicking and screaming to get away from Jesus. Disciples come to him. They said, this is a desolate place The hour's late. Send them away 
to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Jesus, send them away. But you see, Jesus' heart burned with compassion for the people, but the disciples' bellies rumbled with hunger. Their bodies ached for sleep. The disciples saw the crowds as more work, more demands, just another part of the never-ending interruption of their ministry. But Jesus saw them and was moved with compassion. You see, each face reflected a desire, a need, a hunger, a hurt, a care, a worry. I'm convicted as I read this because I think about my own impatient attitude in life. How quickly I am to to get away from those things, to shirk my duties, to try. I, I need me time. How many times have I lacked compassion for God's people? How many times have my personal desires, my own personal wants come before God's redemptive work? How quick am I to groan and complain instead of sacrificing myself joyfully? You see, the more we read the Bible, the more I I don't really associate with Jesus so much. I'm more with the grumbling disciples all the time. I keep saying, no, I'm the sinful one. I'm really bad. I'm really messed up. I'm the one over here. Jesus is so far removed from me. I'm watching him and I'm in awe of him. Jesus, can't you send them away, please? My feet hurt, my back hurt, everything hurts. We've got thousands of people here. It's dinner time. It's dinner time, Jesus. We, you know, they don't have to go home, but they can't stay here. Verse 37, but Jesus answers them, you give them something to eat. And I can almost imagine just a wry smile. You give them something to eat. They said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? Is this a joke? It's not very funny. We we say send them away. You say feed them. Well, we've looked at his eyes. We've looked at his heart. And now we need to look at his masterful hands, the masterful hands of the shepherd. Verse 38. He said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass So they sat them down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. The great missionary uh, to China, Hudson Taylor, I'm sure many of you are familiar with him. He wrote in his journal once, he said, Our Heavenly Father is very experienced. He knows very well that his children wake up with a good appetite every morning. He sustained 3 million Israelites in the wilderness for 40 years. We do not expect he will send 3 million missionaries to China, but if he did, he would have ample means to sustain them all. Depend on it. God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. So you see, the first thing I want us to see here is that God's way of provision almost always begins with what we already have at our fingertips. When we use even what little we have to do God's work in God's way, we will never lack God's supply. You have to see the notice the disciples immediately go first to what they didn't have rather than focusing on what they could provide. And that's partly because what they did have was laughable, right? I mean, five loaves and two fish, that can barely feed two to three people. How are they going to use that to feed thousands? It would cost a year's wages, they say. And even that wouldn't be enough. Think of how much it costs to throw a simple wedding reception. You, get, you know, you know you, if you were married, you, how expensive was that? How much time went into that? Now Jesus says, hey, you feed them. Are you kidding me? 
how quickly they forgot, as we forget, that the shepherd was with them. Instead of disbelieving, they should have said, hey, Jesus, we have so little, but we know that you're with us. And if you just tell us what to do, we will feed them. I would love, Lord Jesus, do, we would love to see a miracle. We would love to see how you're going to solve this. Rather than start with doubt, they should have started with faith. And the, the beautiful thing here is, despite their lack of faith, watch what Jesus does. Watch his hands. He takes the loaves, he takes the fish, he blesses the meal, and then he breaks the loaves, distributes the fish, and those doubting, tired disciples are now partakers in the miracle. They actually get to be the hands and feet of Jesus to all of his sheep. They're the hired hands taking from the source of life to feed God's people. What's the end result? Verse 42. And they all ate and were satisfied. Not only that, there are 12 baskets of leftovers. There's a basket for each disciple to send home. It's wonderful. They're all ate and were satisfied. Everyone who comes to Jesus and eats will be satisfied. The Bible says all who hunger and thirst for righteousness, all with spiritual rumbling tumblies, as you know, Pooh Bear would say, they shall eat and be satisfied. So come to the shepherd and feast. Now we're going to hop in our imaginary helicopters, if you would. We're going to take a bird's eye view of the whole passage once again. We're going to zoom out and we're going to look at it from the sky, if you will. Because this particular scene is dripping with Old Testament allusions. It's, it's recalling our minds back to the Old Testament. It wants us to see that what God was doing back then is the same thing he's doing then. And now he's going to be doing it in our lives. Okay? And if we can wring it out, it's going to pour forth glory. Let's look. We started with the eyes of Christ. We're going to do that again. Listen to Ezekiel 34, verse 12, 14 through 15. It says this, As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he's with them, so I will look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will tend them in a good pasture, and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There they will lie down in good grazing land, and they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the Sovereign Lord. Does that remind you at all of what we just read? It's a prophecy about Christ, isn't it? It's being fulfilled in real time. You see, Jesus had compassion on the people. They looked like sheep without a shepherd. Where have we read that before? Do you know where that's from? Back in Numbers 27, God appoints Moses. Moses is going to be the sheep, the shepherd of the people. He's going to lead the people out. And it says this, Go out before his people and come in before them. Who shall lead them out and bring them in that the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep that have no shepherd? And so Mark's saying, Do you like Moses? Oh, we got a better Moses. <laughs> we got a better Moses. Look at Jesus. He's the better Moses. He's leading his people out. Just like a good shepherd should. Psalm 78, 52. Then he led out his people like sheep and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. Where does this entire scene take place? In a wilderness place. In the wilderness. Psalm 23. I'm sure many of you know it by heart. Listen to it now. It brings new meaning to it. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Mark 6, 39. What does it say? Then he commanded them all to sit down in the groups on the where. Green grass. <laughs> and Mark, you know, Mark writes green grass. He's like, oh, uh, they're going to love that. Here's our shepherd. 
the one David was looking forward to. Here he is. The son of David, the greater king, David. Even the dividing of groups. If you go back to, to the wilderness, Israel in the wilderness under Moses, Exodus 18, 21. Guess what they did? Groups of hundreds and fifties. The disciples' complaint echoes Numbers 11. The people want meat. God comes to Moses. And you know what God says? Hey, give them meat. And Moses says this. Shall flocks and herds be slaughtered for them and be enough for them? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them and that be enough for them? Lord, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread? Psalm 78, 19. They spoke against God saying, can God spread a table in the wilderness? Well, can he? I think he can. (laughs) How did he provide for the people in the desert? Daily bread. Manna from heaven. And now we have the bread of life providing for 5,000 with five loaves of bread and two fish in the wilderness on the green grass. You see, his eyes are always upon his people. These are eyes of compassion blazing like fire. Let's look again now. We're going to move to his heart, the compassionate heart of Christ. Jesus in John 10, 14 through 15 says this. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father. Now, if you think about that, Jesus knows you completely. There are times when you're a mystery even to yourself, but you are never a mystery to Christ. You see, his heart of compassion is spring-loaded towards mercy for you. It's spring-loaded towards the sheep. The chambers of his heart are, are loaded with bullets of grace and mercy, and he's firing them at us. And part of the joy of following Jesus as shepherd is that because he knows me completely... He is able to lead me perfectly. Does he know my favorite color? Does he know my snack of choice? Does he he know every hair on my head? Yes, yes, yes. Psalm 139, 2 through 3. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. Before you get up from your your pew today, the Lord goes, yep, knew about that. Knew they were going to do that. I know my sheep. For the precious, sweet little ones here today, even for our mamas, I want you to commit to memory this verse, Isaiah 40, 11. There are many promises for the saints of God, but there are special promises for you today. Listen to this. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. What a marvelous thing it is to be held by the Son of God. And since you are his treasured possession, that's the way the Bible talks about you. If you're in Christ, you are his treasured possession. We're told in John 10, 15, that he lays down his life for the sheep, for you. Furthermore, John 10, 28 through 29, Jesus says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one's able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Which leads us to the hands of our shepherd. The pastor, A.W. Pink, he wrote this. He says, the hand of Christ is beneath us and the hand of the Father is above us. Thus, we are secured between the clasped hands of omnipotence. I love that. You're, You're caught. You're safe. You're held fast. Jesus says, I give them eternal life. They will never perish. In other words, you did not earn it. 
You did not earn eternal life. It's a priceless gift. Eternal life is given freely to the sheep by the shepherd and freely received by the sheep through faith and grace. You did not earn your way into God's flock. You were lost. You were abandoned by the world. You were stranded in the crags and mires. You were a sheep that had gone astray. And Jesus Christ comes, throws you over his shoulders, and then all of heaven explodes with rejoicing. Heaven roars with delight. Charles Spurgeon, the pastor, said this. He said, lambs are wont to lag behind. They're prone to wonder, apt to grow weary. But from all the danger of these infirmities, the shepherd protects them with his arm of power. He finds newborn souls like young lambs ready to perish. He nourishes them till life becomes vigorous. He finds weak minds ready to faint and die. He consoles them and renews their strength. All the little ones he gathers, for it is not the will of our Heavenly Father that one of them should perish. What a quick eye he must have to see them all. What a tender heart to care for them all. What a far-reaching and potent arm to gather them all. This is our shepherd. The same one who shut the mouths of the lions so that Daniel could sleep in peace. The same one who grappled with the bear of hell and slew him once and for all for the sheep. This is the shepherd king. All hail the son of David. Reign forever. Christ, we cry, Hosanna in the highest heaven. You see, his gaze terrifies the enemy. His heart is an inferno of righteous anger towards the wicked. His mighty arm pulls back the bowstring, ready to strike down all the forces of darkness, but not for us. And so we say all glory, laud, and honor to you, our shepherd king. He is watching over us. Now, there's one final thing about our our king I didn't mention. And I want to close with this. This is his beautiful voice. He has wonderful eyes, masterful hands, a compassionate heart, and a beautiful voice. John 10, 27 says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Many years ago in England, there was a circus elephant named Bozo. He was very popular with the public. The kids loved him. They throw peanuts at him. He liked the kids. And then so all of a sudden, his, his behavior started to change gradually. And as the people would come, he would rush the cage. The children would be there with the peanuts, and he would try to trample them in. It was awful what was happening with Bozo, Bozo the elephant. Well, it was obvious he had to be put down. The circus owner was a greedy, a crude man. He decided, I'm going to stage a public execution, and I'll sell tickets for it. Okay, because that's what you did back in the day. In this way, he would sell the tickets, recoup the cost. Well, the day came and the circus tent was packed. Bozo was in his cage, he was in the center ring, and nearby stood a firing squad with high-powered rifles. The manager stood near the cage, was about ready to give the the final signal to fire, when out of the crowd came a short, inconspicuous man in a brown derby hat. He said, there's no need for this, he told the manager quietly. He's a bad elephant. He must die before he kills someone, the manager replied. No, you're wrong. You're wrong, insisted the man. Give me two minutes in the cage alone with him, and I will prove it. You'll be killed, the man said. I don't think so, said the little man. Do I have your permission? Well, the manager, being the kind of man he was, thought, well, this will be an even better spectacle if this guy goes in the ki- there and gets killed by the elephant. Okay, that's great. I'll tell, you know, it'll be publicity. He says, all right, but first you have to sign a release absolving the circus of all responsibility. Yes, yes, I'll do that. So the man signed the paper. He removed his coat, removed his hat, and he prepared to enter the stage. 
The manager told all the people what was about to happen, and a hush fell over the crowd. The door to the cage was unlocked. The man stepped inside, and the door was locked behind him. At the sight of the stranger in the cage, the elephant drew back. He let forth a mighty sound, a mighty roar. He bent his head, ready to charge. But the man stood still, had a faint smile on his face as he began to talk to the animal. And slowly, as the man continued to talk, the elephant raised his head. The crowd heard almost a piteous cry from the elephant as his enormous head began to sway gently from side to side. Smiling, the man walked confidently to the animal and began to stroke the long trunk. Well, the audience was uh, astounded. They broke out with cheers and clapping. It was, it was an amazing scene. And after a while, the man said farewell to the elephant, left the cage. He'll be all right now, he told the manager. You see, he's an Indian elephant, and none of you spoke his language. Hindustani. He's just homesick. And with that, the little man put on his coat, put on his hat, and left. The astounded manager looked down at the slip of paper in his hand where the man had signed his name, and he wrote, read, Rudyard Kipling. You see, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. So my question for you today is, do you know his voice? If you don't, then to you, our Lord now shows himself as the shepherd of the sheep. The, the one who seeks the lost, who, who will leave the 99. You are so precious to him. He has called you here today. You are so precious to him. He says, I will come and get you. I will put my life on the line. I will risk it. I will come to you. He will throw you over his shoulders. He will bring you back home. Where are you this morning? The great shepherd is calling you, with his, he's calling you by name. There will be such joy in his heart. There will be such joy in heaven when you finally come home. Aren't you homesick? There's a place for you here today. There's a place waiting for you at the banquet of Christ. So come and eat. Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And your eyes may be red. They may be sore from weeping over your sin and your grief and your loss and your pain. But I want you to see the eyes of Christ which are wet with tears for you. And your heart may be restless. It will be forever restless until it rests in his burning, compassionate heart. And your hands will be callous from work. Your arms are too weak to drag yourself out of that pit. But his hands are pierced for you. And his grip upon you is Herculean. Jesus below, God the Father above, grasped in omnipotence. And so what's the cry from the text? The cry from the text is, feed me, O shepherd king. Cry out today, feed me, O shepherd king. And then listen because you'll hear his voice. And he will call you to lie down in green pastures. He will call you to rest. And he will say, feast at my table forever. Let's pray. Jesus, we are astonished by this miracle, a miracle of feeding 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish. But lest we get caught up on that, Lord, we want to see you. We want to see the man behind the miracle. We want to see our God. We want to see our shepherd king whose heart is filled with compassion for his people. Heart who is filled with compassion even for his own enemies, who calls his enemies to come to him to be made sons and daughters of the King, who calls the dead to come and live, 
you are truly a God that works wonders and miracles. And so I ask, Lord, that you would do that today, that you would alive in our hearts, that you would turn hearts of stone to hearts of flesh today, that you would give us endurance, give us strength, Lord, as you call us to rest. Help us to truly rest this week in you alone. Jesus, you are our great shepherd. Thank you for, for shepherding us, Lord. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing our final hymn today, How Great Thou Art.